Good morning. Today's scripture is Mark 1, 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thanks, Allison. As you guys are seated, um, I want you to know with the, the, the community leaders being up here, if you are looking to get connected, um, this Wednesday is our first official Start Here class. It's a Start Here night on Wednesday nights. And if you are interested, you can, um, you can go to the Connect desk or you can actually uh, text the phone number. I don't know if we have it right now. But anyway, you can text the phone number um, and... Uh, and uh, they'll give you the information in the Connect Desk. But if you're interested in getting plugged in, that's going to be a good way for you to do it. So let's get at our, um, at our, our Bible. So here, here's um, what we've done. We decided when we started about a month ago to um, go through the book of Mark. And so for the next year, we are just going to plow through this thing. And we've talked about why specifically we, we want to do that. We want to go verse by verse by verse by verse very intentionally, okay? And, um, and it's been a, a wild ride because the way we opened up the book of Mark is we realized from the very outset, no one knows who Jesus is. Nobody knows who Jesus is except the demons. There's this guy at the very end of the book who identifies him, but we read through the book of Mark, no one knowing who he is, but we as the readers know who he is. So from the outset, we're told that Jesus is not just a God who came in the flesh, but he's part of the Trinity. He has this kingdom. He's brought this kingdom on earth and we're finding out who Jesus is as the reader. So there's this tension that we as the readers know who he is, but no one in the book of Mark knows who he is. And what we found last week was that this Jesus is all powerful. He, he has all authority, not just over the spiritual, that this demon, this, this man filled with demons comes on the scene and Jesus basically tells him, again, frank language, shut up and get out as he tells him to leave this man. These demons flee from this man and he's all powerful. People are amazed. He is astonished and he's teaching the Bible in such a way that no one's ever heard before because Jesus is the man. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is God. He is all powerful. He has all authority. And he shows that not just in the spiritual, but then suddenly you see he does this in, in, in the physical, that he heals this woman. He touches this woman, Peter's mother-in-law, and she raises. She has this fever, which could have been deadly, and he heals her. And then he separates himself. And what we ultimately found out was that Jesus, with all this authority, with all this power, doing anything he possibly could want to do, he doesn't write a book. He doesn't do a, a traveling seminar series. He lays down his authority so that you can be saved, so that I can be saved. He takes his authority and he subjugates himself to the cross so that we can be saved. And so that's, that's what we found out. And with that, he's been traveling over and over in Galilee. And so now we're going to run into a, um, a pretty bizarre story. Um, and I wanted to isolate this story. We had this story be plugged into the bigger part of chapter one, but I wanted to talk specifically about this story because I think it's really good for us to hear the nuances of what takes place here. So um, Jesus is still going in and out of synagogues, um, 
And he's walking around one day, and this is what happens in verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, and said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now, the way this is going to work is is I'm going to read a verse. I'm going to try to explain it for us, and we're going to go on and on. And this specific verse needs a lot of explaining, because here is Jesus. And what happens is a man, a leper, comes to him, imploring him, kneeling, and said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Okay, so let's talk about what this is, because here's this leper. He gets down on knees, says, listen, you can do this. I know you can do this. You have the power to do this if you want to do this. Okay, there's insane amounts of humility, and we can begin to put ourselves in this story, and it makes the story all the more interesting, not just for story or narrative's sake, but for something so much more beautiful. And, and here's what I mean. Um, we got to get our mind just around this, and maybe you, you've heard the term leprosy, you know about it, and it might just be something you hear about in the Bible. This is actually a disease that is still existent today. It's called Hansen's disease. Um, but for this man, there's a lot of bizarre things that, would, that are going on in this man's life that we don't see in that one verse. And here's, here, here's what I mean. So this, this um, word leprosy comes from the Greek word lepros. It, it literally means scaly, okay? Um, for lepers, they, they were... Uh, they were outcasts, not just in the social sense, but, but um, if you, would, you would recognize who a leper was. Um, there's a guy named Paul Brand who uh, has done insane amounts of work on leprosy um, today. He tries to do reconstructive surgery for these guys, and he's seen the ins and outs of Hansen's disease or leprosy. And I was going to put this quote up there, but it's kind of graphic, so I'd prefer just to read it and you not read the words. Um, this is what it says. Leprosy, just so we can get our mind around what kind of man is sitting in front of Jesus right now. Leprosy generally begins with pain in certain areas of the body. Numbness follows. Soon the skin in such spots loses its, ori- uh, loses its original color. It gets to be thick, glossy, and scaly. The thickened spots become dirty sores and ulcers due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eyes and ears, begins to bunch in deep furrows between the swelling so that the face of the affiliated individual begins to resemble that of a lion. Okay, so I, I just, the reason I'm sharing this, is not to get graphic, but I want you to understand what's going on. Here's this man who is um, a leper, and what leprosy is, is there's sores, and they're open, and it's bloody, and his face is crumped up, and you would clearly recognize that dude is, for all right, rights and purposes, disgusting. You'd look at him and go, that dude is, is disgusting, okay? And you see this man, and here he is kneeling before Jesus, and matter of fact, uh, Paul Brand um, used to, as he would do uh, reconstructive surgery on these lepers in these third world countries, would send these lepers home with a cat, because a part of leprosy, what happens in leprosy is, um, it's not just the, the, the disconfiguration of who you are, but it's the numbness of how you feel. So some lepers could, because they don't know how hard they're turning on a faucet, would literally squeeze the faucet so hard they would break their fingers off and not even know it. Uh, Like true stories, just gashing their fingers open just because they don't understand the the senses. It's numb. Their body becomes numb. He calls it a painless hell. And he would send cats home in these third world countries with these things because literally as these lepers would sleep, they would have their fingers chewed off by rats because they wouldn't even know it. They wouldn't wake up. So, so they would say, I mean, I'm not trying to get gross for the sake, but this is honestly how gross this is. I mean, you got to get your, put yourself in this dude's shoes, which he probably wouldn't even had shoes. Okay. So he's walking around, put yourself in this story. Here is this leper. He's kneeling before Jesus and he is, um, undeserving in his mind. He does not deserve this. And, and there's something even more that you, you have to understand and get at because we get um, a little bit of look uh, of the life of a leper in the Bible. The Bible gives us a little bit of a glimpse of what this guy, not just physically, would look like or physically what he's feeling, but socially what, what would be going on. Because 
Um, God, in his um, sovereignty, recognizes that leprosy is an extremely contagious disease. And so when he begins to lay out laws in the Old Testament for the way that people deal with lepers, um, he he lays out in Leviticus 13, I'm going to read it for you, he lays out certain laws for lepers because it gets... um, Pretty, pretty bad. This is what he says in Leviticus 13. If the person is identified as a leprous man, he is unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His infection is on his head. And as for the leper who, is at, um, who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn. That is so that, we, that he can be easily identified as wearing rags. So the first thing is, you're a leper. They rip, rip your clothes. Now everyone knows you're a leper. Even if you don't have these signs yet, we know you're a leper, okay? Um, So that they wear rags, the hair on his head shall be uncovered because the leprosy tends to show itself in reddish blotches and open sores of the head. This is the Bible talking. Um, And they need to be visible. So people need to see this leprosy, okay? And then here's this uh, linchpin for us. He shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days in which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. So we have a leper who's come to Jesus, but he ain't coming from down the street. Here's this city, and he is on the outside. And for him to come on the inside of the city, he's got to come in the inside. And everywhere he goes, unclean, unclean, I'm I'm unclean, I'm unclean, unclean. And people are keeping this radius, the six to ten foot radius around him because they don't want this disease. And so he kneels before Jesus Christ, the creator of all things. And you can see in his humility, I don't live in this city because I'm not allowed to. I am an outcast. I live in desolate places, and he kneels before Jesus, and it's this humble posture of, listen, bro, I know you can heal me. I know you can, but will you? Will you? And then we get verse 41. Moved with pity, talking about Jesus, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. This is crazy, right? Because um, there's implications are infinite here because here Jesus not just shoes him away, but touches him. One, he could get a disease, right? He could get leprosy. But more than that, um, as he touches him, Jesus could have easily just said, yes, be clean. Like we have another account in the gospels where um, this man comes for his daughter to be healed. And he says, Jesus, Jesus, I I need you to to heal my daughter. Okay. He's like, Jesus, all right, let's go. Let's go see her. And he goes, well, no, no, it's okay. Just, just say she's healed and I'll go back and, and, and and get there and she'll be healed. And Jesus goes, wait, wait, are you serious? You you believe that I can do, do This dude has, I've never seen faith like this before. And so he could, and he goes, yeah, she's healed, go. And the man goes, and his daughter's healed. I mean, he could have, Jesus does not need to touch this man. But he looks at this man in pity, and he touches him. And it's crazy because how much he engages. And and what's bizarre is this this, uh, this term here that we see. Some of you says, moved with compassion or moved with pity. I'm trying, to be honest, and I'm trying to avoid to drop the Greek bombs on you sometimes because I know no one just spends their time learning Greek. But there are moments um, when we're reading some of these stories that we kind of got to know certain these words. And this is one of those words that I think would be really good for us to know. Because those three words, moved with pity or, or filled with compassion, as some of your Bibles say, is one Greek word. And it doesn't just mean this emotion. It doesn't just mean um, like, oh, gosh, I feel bad. It means he's physically affected by what he's seeing. It's this like, like 
oh my goodness, like you need help on deep levels. There's, there's a, a guy named Kent Hughes. He's, a, um, he's in Illinois. He's a pastor. Whether you know him or not, I think he describes this one word um, that, that we have three words in English for really well. This is what it says. This word, talking about this one word, describes a visceral reaction on Jesus's part. He felt it in his stomach. Jesus' reaction went beyond pity or sympathy or even empathy. It was not just mind for mind, hand for hand, or even heart for heart, but stomach for stomach, blood for blood, gut for gut. Jesus feels his way into the leper's needs. We all understand this when we have a desperately sick brother or sister or child. It is gut-wrenching, compassion. This word literally means your stomach churning. I mean, how crazy is that, if we could just pause for a moment, that Jesus looks at this man who is so helpless, and he feels it. Like, he feels it. You think, how often is, like, we think we're so alone. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know why this is happening. I feel the weight of the world, the loss and the pain of whatever it is, and Jesus is not in heaven going, that sucks, bro, I know, but he feels it. There's something deep within him that he relates and not from far off, but he grabs you by the arm and says, I will be clean. He, he touches us. And over and over, he's touching men and women to heal them when he doesn't have to. Jesus feels his way into the leper's pain and he heals this man and he is forever clean. Like, get around what happens. So Jesus wills. Jesus absolutely says, yes, you can be clean. He touches this man. And now suddenly, what were nubs of his fingers that he lost? Suddenly, his face that was scaly, his arms that he could barely walk um, over and over. He He would be called unclean. He'd have to go around saying unclean. Suddenly, this dude is clean. He's, like, giving himself dead legs just because it feels good. He's, like, punching himself. Yes, I can feel, right? He's slamming his hand into the door. Like, this is, this is some, he's so excited, right? And he wants to tell everyone. And Jesus grabs him now by his old scaly, old scaly cheeks, now rosy red. He grabs him, he looks at him, he pitches his cheeks, and he says, look at me, look at me. This is what he says in verse uh, 43. Jesus sternly charged him and, and, and sent him away at once and said to him, look at me, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go show yourself to the priest and offer uh, an offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So he says, hey, look at me real quick. I don't want you to say anything. We talked about this last week. We don't know fully why Jesus doesn't want um, these, these demons or these, the, the sick to say anything. Ultimately, we're kind of forced in the corner to say Jesus has this plan, right? which pushes against us, uh, but he, he has this plan of when he wants uh, this unveiling to take place. And he, he grabs this man. He says, don't say anything, but I want you to go to the priest and I want you to offer the sacrifice that you're supposed to offer. So this is referring back to Leviticus 13. If someone was healed of leprosy, they would have to offer the sacrifice so they can move back in the town. So if you read those last five words for proof to them so that these people, the priests, the people in the town know that this leper really is clean. So now I'm not just saying I physically healed you, but socially, I need you to go get your things in order, go to the priest so you can be brought back into town. You can be my next door neighbor. Okay, and so he looks at him and he says, but don't say anything. Don't say anything. Okay, verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. So here's Jesus, right? He's like, "Ah, okay, what are you doing? I, I just said not to say anything. Okay. Bummer. Okay, so here we go. I don't know. That's my commentary on that. I don't know if I'm Jesus. 
what you would say, but he tells him not to say anything, and he goes out and says anything. And this is the, the repercussions of that uh, moment taking place. So that Jesus could no longer, no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and the people were coming to him from every quarter. So here's a story. Leper comes to Jesus. Jesus heals the leper. He tells him not to say anything. The leper says something. The leper's life is forever changed, and Jesus' life is, is now, he, he's stuck into desolate places. And, and this is a story. That's a really good story for us to read, but um, it's also something a little more. Um, we would also identify this story as an exemplum, which is a fancy word for saying it's a, um, it's a story that happened, that really happened, that is an actual story, but symbolizes more things. Like, um, like other Bible exemplums would be uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. We can refer to a town as, that town is like Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't literally mean structurally it's set up by Sodom and Gomorrah, do we? We mean, no, it's full of sin or it's, it's off, right? Or, or actually, the best exemplum would be David and Goliath. It's a story that actually happened, but every time a powerhouse basketball team plays an underdog basketball team, we say it's the story of David and Goliath. We, we don't literally mean a nine-foot giant is facing a, a little shepherd boy, do we? We, we mean uh, something. It's symbol for something more, and this is the epitome of an exemplum. And, and here's, here's what I mean, because the way we start this story is a man is in desolate places. A man is on the outskirts of town. A man is not welcomed in. A man cannot come into the city unless he cries unclean. But he comes into the city. He encounters Jesus. Christ and the way the story ends is Jesus is on the outside of the town. What the story really signifies is Jesus replaces the leper. Jesus not just heals this man, but because of the leper's decision, he takes the place of the leper, which is is really beautiful, right? Because um, we see this um, and we recognize that it it is more. And and as cheesy as it may sound, um, there is deep within us this lepr- leprosy. So, so maybe for some of you, 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 you got your game right, right? Like you're, you're reading at all the right times. You're praying at all the right times. You're making sure you're in church. You're serving. You, you have this. Or maybe you don't even do those things, but you just say, yeah, I'm a good person, right? And, and you have this, this uh, leprosy that you would not even be willing to, to admit. But some of you, um, man, you're doing whatever the heck you want with your life. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, do, I'll come to Jesus later. And, and you're broken, And here's Jesus offering to heal you, offering to take your place, but you would rather not. And and here's why this is important, because um, just like it is an exemplum in the big story, it also symbolizes in leprosy a perfect symbol for sin. Like, think about what leprosy does. Leprosy numbs the senses, and it eventually kills you. And man, can I just say for us, like, this is, just as a pastor, this is what myself and all these community leaders over and over are pleading with you. And you continue to look at the computer, even though it's killing you. It's killing you. Like, why? Why do you, why do you want him as a boyfriend or her as a girlfriend so bad you are willing to compromise all these things? It is killing you. Why do you continue to go back to this thing, seeking joy? It is killing you. And unfortunately, the numbness of the leprosy numbs you and numbs you. And you don't even recognize that it is killing you. You you don't feel the effects that it's killing you. Unfortunately, that's not what the Bible would tell us about sin. Genesis 4 tells us that it's crouching at our door and it desires to overtake us. Romans 5 says that sin entered the world through one man, death through sin. In this, all men die because all sin. Like James 1 tells us that um, we're drawn away by our own desires. When that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sinfully grown brings forth death. And like the leper, we're slowly dying. Like the leper, it is eating away, and we're being numbed by what is taking place. And man, we're just cool with it. 
And unfortunately, like, I, I can only plead with you so much to say, man, get out of the cul-de-sac of stupidity. Stop messing around with those things. Quit fondling the things that Jesus has died for. Why continue to go down that path seeking joy where that's not where your joy is going to be found? Here, here, here's maybe a, a different way to picture it. A best, uh, the, the best way that we could probably see this is if we zoom out of this story. It's not just Jesus and this leper, is it? Um, if, we, if we rewind the clock a little bit, we remember in verses 14 and 15 of Mark 1, Jesus comes on the scene, and what does he say? He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Essentially, what he is saying is, I've come to restore things to the way they're supposed to be. And so as he walks around in Galilee, as he walks around in Capernaum, as he's going to these places, he is restoring things and people to the way they are supposed to be. So he looks at Peter, Peter's mother-in-law and says, there's no sickness in my kingdom. Though there's time in, in this world that we do experience sickness, right? But we have a hope to know one day there will be no sickness. There's no demons in my kingdom. So where Jesus goes, there's these demons. Get out! There's no demons in his kingdom. And though we experience oppression by demons, one day we won't have to feel that oppression. And then in this moment, Jesus looks at the leper and says, there's no leprosy in my kingdom. Though there is Hansen's disease, isn't there? But one day there, there won't be. And so Jesus, though the time has started, it has not yet completed. And so Jesus is restoring things to the way they're supposed to be. So here's why this is important for us dealing with sin. Jesus is not some um, killjoy that looks down and says, man, I know it's fun to continue to have sex with her, but I just really want you to stop. Because uh, I, I, no, listen to me. Um, Jesus knows how things are supposed to be. He's restoring the kingdom to the way it's supposed to be. So he doesn't go, I want you to stop having sex, even though it's fun. He says, no, listen, I made sex. I'm the one created the blood to flow where it flows. I'm the one, the emotion, the affection that you have, the way it's created. I made that to be the way it is. And I'm telling you, that's not how it's supposed to be done. He's not doing it because he hates you. He's doing it because he loves you. Because the joy And the happiness and the peace you are looking for in this silly trinket is not found in the things that God has created. It's found in the one who created it. And so God in this moment is restoring, like leprosy, restoring us, saying, stop doing this. Not for the sake of just stop doing it, but because I'm telling you, it is killing you. And growing up with um, aunts and uncles who did drugs, I could not plead enough with these people. Please, Jimmy, stop. Stop pleading with my uncle. This is the stuff is watching him like picking at his skin and crawling, like sleeping for days. The stuff is killing you, but he wouldn't hear it. And unfortunately, that's how it's a drug addict. Yeah, yeah. No, listen, man, that's you and that's me. We love our sin dearly and it's killing us. And Jesus loves us so much that he would say, listen, I didn't just heal you in this moment, heal you of that disease, but I don't want you to go back to that. Holy Spirit, I'm just saying. Okay. Here, here's, here's an example that I, I hope can explain this, and then, and then we'll move on. Um, um, I'll stand over here. Um, here. This may be silly, and this is a long example, but I, I hope this helps. Um, have you guys ever thought the way, uh, I hope this helps, have you ever thought um, the way that um, we measure an inch? Like, how do we know an inch to you is an inch to me, right? Like, we would look at a ruler, but how do we know an inch is an inch? 
If you guys ever, maybe you haven't ever thought about that, but, or a pound is a pound. Like how, what determines what a pound is? Ultimately we'd say, well, a pound weighs this certain amount of weight, but that weight is determined on something else. So how do we determine what weight is in general? Uh, there's a couple things. Let me just, let me read a definition of a yard to you very quickly. Okay. I promise I'm going somewhere with this and I hope this will help a yard. This is a unit of linear measure equal to three feet or zero point nine one four four meters. Um, let me read a quart. So a quart is, um, like liquid. That's how you would measure liquid. A quart is a unit of liquid capacity equal to the quarter of a gallon or two pints equivalent to approximately 0.94 liters or in britain 1.13 liters brits crazy right um a pound this is a pound a pound is a unit of weight in general use equal to 16 ounces avrodopius um 0.4536 kilograms okay so we have these different definitions which i know i'm, I'm going to get to something here we have these different definitions but even think of that first definition the yard right we would say well a yard is three feet. Well, what is a foot? A foot is 12 inches. Well, what is an inch? How do we determine what an inch is? So there's even finer definitions to even what an inch is. This is how we would define an inch. An inch, hear this, they don't have this because this is, I want you to just hear this, is, is as a unit of atmospheric pressure, an amount that would support a column of mercury, one inch height and barometer equal to three, three point eight six millibars two nine point five inches being equal to one bar, right? Everyone gets what that is. Um, okay. So, so here's my point. There is absolute settings. There is absolute tests that we have for inches, pounds, quarts. It has to do with mercury. It has to do with pressure. It has to do with uh, uh, magnets. It has to do with all these things, um, lights and, and, and vacuums. And this is how we determine literally uh, what an inch is, what, what, what we would see as an inch, okay? And every single thing, inch, yards, uh, liquids, pounds, whatever it is, except one thing. There, there's one thing that, that, that um, we determine not based on any of those things, and it's the kilogram. The kilogram, let me read the definition for a kilogram for you. This is the kilogram. It's called um, the Lagrande K, okay? Um, just keep that in mind. This is how we would define it. The mass of a particular international prototype made of platinum iridium and kept at the International Bureau of Weights and Measures. So let me read this again. It is the mass of a particular um, international prototype made of uh, platinum and iridium and kept at the International Bureau of Weights and Measures. So how do we determine a kilogram? Everything else has to do with science, but a kilogram is determined by this prototype, this little cylinder. We had a picture for it, but uh, we don't have it. Um, this little cylinder that is kept in France. It's called the Lagrande K, and that is the kilogram. I'm not making it up. There's no sign. So if someone was to sneeze on that little cylinder, all weights that determine kilograms would instantly be thrown off. I'm not making this up. You can honestly look this up. It's, it's literally in a vault, three stories down, in a case, in a case, in a case. They take it out every four years and they wash this thing, okay? Now here's what's crazy. Um, the reason I'm telling this and the reason I think this is important is we um, look at Jesus and ultimately determine what brings us joy. We hold the kilogram in our hand. Whatever we say, if the kilogram weighs this much, then all kilograms weigh this much. I determine how much it weighs. And so we are the litmus test. We are the, the, the tuning fork. We are the kilogram in that moment to go say, what, what, what I determine is what joy is. You, you have bought a lie. Because here's how we know, and, and this, this uh, kilogram was created in 1870, but in 1940, they made an astonishing, unbelievable, terrifying discovery. The ultimate kilogram that determines all kilograms is losing weight. 
so everything that we based our metric system on, well, okay, based all the, the, the systems of weights and measures and everything, has lied to us. It's lied to us. Even though this is the standard of what a kilogram is, it's losing weight. So now is this standard wrong? Like, we know what a kilogram actually weighs, but this is what a kilogram weighs. It's, it's lied to us. What we put our, and this is, this is my point, what we've put our joy in, what we put our hope in, what we think we've put our happiness in, man, it has lied to you. Idols will never fail to fail. And though you think you're going to find happiness in that corner, it's lying to you. May we rid ourselves of this sin. May we flee from it. My boy Charles Spurgeon says it like this. None of us would imagine that this leper meant the Lord Jesus. Uh, the Lord Jesus could make him feel comfortable in remaining a leper. Some seem to think that Jesus came to let us go on with our sins with a quiet conscience, but he did nothing of the kind. His salvation is cleansing from sin, and if we love sin, we are not saved from it. We cannot have justification without sanctification. There is no use in quibbling about it. There must be a change, a radical change, a change of heart, or else we are not saved. I put it now to you. Do you desire a moral and spiritual change, a change of life, a thought, and motive? This is what Jesus gives. Just as this leper needed a thorough physical change, so we need an entire renewal of spiritual nature, so as to become a new creature in Jesus Christ. So what I'm trying to put in front of you is that we're all lepers, man. I know like that, that sounds um, weird. Like if you were to tell people, like, come to my church, we're all lepers. Um, but, but the truth is we, we, we have been saved from this. And if we continue to, to go into what, what we deem as leprosy, if we continue to fall into this trap, it's a lie. So before I pray, um, I, I want to just put this in front of you because I think this is a big deal. Um, if you're a Christian in here, and you would say, man, I'm not just part of Redemption Peoria. I'm not just part of Redemption Church. I'm not just part of the church, but I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus Christ. Um, what's bizarre is Jesus doesn't just heal us as lepers, but we are called to do the exact opposite of what he tells the leper, le- leper to do. That, that the leper f- runs from Jesus, he walks away from Jesus, and he begins to talk, and listen to the words, freely about it. He begins to talk freely about it. And he tells him not to. Yet Jesus tells us to do the exact opposite. And I don't mean like set up a camp and start screaming on Mill Avenue. I, I, I don't mean um, just wearing bracelets or tell, uh, passing out tracks. I mean talk freely about it. When, when the moment arises at work, when the moment arises with your family, when the moment arises with your friends, when the moment arises with your neighbors. Here, so so um, my man Marshall, uh, who lives across the street, the 75-year-old man who came to our community on Monday night, uh, he had been in a couple car accidents. I'm hoping he's going to come to church one of these times, but he had been in a couple car accidents. He was bruised up pretty bad. And for the last like month and a half, Corbin and I, my oldest son, he's six or he's seven now. We, we would go over there and we just pull his weeds. Okay. So we pick his weeds. Now it sounds like a noble thing, but I pull them cause I feed them to my turtles. But, um, I, 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 I we, we would pull his weeds and we, I, I help him take out his trash and we do all these things for him. Right. Well, um, he gets into this car accident and, um, and we're talking, I go, Marshall, here's the deal, right? Like Marshall, Dude, you're 70 plus. This is what I said to him. You're 70 plus. You know I'm a pastor. We need to start talking about Jesus, okay? And he's like, yeah, I know. I know, okay? Uh, Here's, it wasn't this like, okay, for one month I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna lead into this and then, no, it was, the time was right. 
I, I freely talked about it. I wasn't bound up by trying to get this man saved because I'm not saving anyone. I, I've created a relationship with Marshall, know him, I love him, I care for him, not just his physical needs, but his soul, and I want to talk freely about it when the moment arises. And I pray that that's what we would do. We would be an ex-leper colony, people who were on the outsides of the city but now have come into the city as we watch our Savior being pushed to the margins. And inside that city, we would proclaim his name. We would say, listen, understand, you have leprosy. I know you don't see it. I know you don't recognize it. But hear me, you can be rescued from these things. And that we would talk freely about it. This is our call. This is what we've been put in place to do. This is why Jesus has cleansed us of our leprosy. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get out of here. Father, thank you so much for who you are. We are uh, we're grateful for all that you've done and all that you do. We're grateful that uh, in the midst of hearing this story, that we can recognize and see our heart that, uh, and there are these leprous patches. There are these things that, that we feel like you're in our debt because we've done the right things. And that's this self-righteous mentality and it's leprosy and it's killing us. And yet there are some who don't think that, that they deserve you. And that's leprosy. This, it's this part of us that, that we think we're not worthy or not fit. And the truth is you have made us worthy by your cross. You have called us. We are sons in you because of what you've done. And then I pray that we would be commissioned with that calling, that we would know that now we are on the insides of the city. You have put us with the family members we have. You have put us in the workplaces we are in. You have put us to have the friends that we do, to walk the streets that we have, to have the neighbors who are there for a reason, for a purpose. You pre-appointed our times and the boundaries of our dwelling, as Acts 17 says. You knew where we were going to be and you placed us there purposefully. I pray that we would not have a staunch, self-righteous attitude to know that we've been healed of sin and it's us four and no more, but we would recognize that this message is so much more beautiful than that. That we would not hold it or hoard it to ourselves, but we would share it freely. It would be something that freely comes up in conversation at the right moments, and we pray for those opportunities. We love you. We thank you. We lean on you. It's in your name we pray, Christ. Amen.